Friends, I hope you all know how it feels to have too many cooks in the kitchen. That can be a blessing, right? Even though sometimes we grumble about it. I hope many of you had that experience over Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, many of us know how it feels to have too many refs in the stands. That's not a good thing. We also, some of us know that even just one is one too many backseat drivers. That's me, according to Matt, one too many backseat drivers. But today I want to think with you all about how it feels to have so many storytellers at the table. As we come to this time of Advent, as we're preparing for Christmas time, we find that perhaps this is also a good thing. Have you ever been to gatherings like this? There is a big table with a storyteller for the same one story in every chair. Grandma's Thanksgiving table, perhaps, or a high school reunion. And when I say story, I do not mean a myth or a fable, but a recounting of real events that have actually happened, the true experiences of our lives. The narrative is spun through how we represent those experiences in words with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and all of the relevant details that together is woven to create a story. So let's picture this table with too many storytellers. One person begins the story, and of course, so many people were there, but perhaps a few got the story secondhand. Unfortunately, they missed it, but they think that what they have is on good authority, and they keep chiming in. So whenever this group gathers together, they tell this story. It is too good not to repeat it. So one always sets in, remember the time another interrupts them and says, no, it was this way. Another thinks, well, we have to begin with what the weather was doing that night, and they start describing what it was like outside. The dreamy friend or the hippie aunt interrupts with what the planets were doing at that moment and how that really explains what went down next. Another person says, well, I was there before any of you even arrived, and what happened then was this. And another interrupts with, well, what so-and-so told me was they had already planned for that to happen. And as some accounts seem to be set in tension with one another, as people keep telling the story differently from their own different vantage points with their own different facts that they have experienced, they start relying on things like, look, I even have a snapshot. And another says, I have a telltale scar. The story belongs to them all. And in the retelling through the many voices, it comes alive for them all again. We are all preparing for Christmas Eve in our homes, in our hearts, in our minds, and here at church as well. In both the Christmas pageant and lessons and carols, we will be all gathered together around the table to hear all the voices together. We invite the cacophony of perspectives to bump up against each other, and all compete for attention all at once. Matthew will first need you to know that you have to begin with the family tree of Jesus and do not leave out the star or the wise one as we begin this story. Luke has a different way to begin and wants you not to forget what was going on over at the cousin's house and do not leave out the powerful voice of Mary or the presence of the humble shepherds. John wants you to begin at the very beginning as though you have a telescope with a lens advanced enough that you can peer back over the eons and take in all of the creation and all of eternity, writing 
as though we are going all the way back to the source of all light and all reason. In the beginning was the word, he writes, what has come into being in him is life, and without him not one thing came to be. Today, our gospel reading is Mark's moment to begin where he thinks it's best. And Mark is the oldest gospel that we have. And within the gospel of Mark, in the form that we have it, scholars think is contained an even older document, which they call Q, or the sayings source, which records the sayings of Jesus, which the synoptic gospel writers created their um, narratives throughout. So it will, each one returns to, then Jesus said this, then Jesus taught that, and the parables. So within it is contained something even older than what we read in Mark. So if our storytellers are around the story, around the table, it is Mark who is the one who begins. Remember the time. And he does not give us a nativity. He does not begin with the cosmos or a child Jesus as the other three do. He begins with our passage this morning. His first line is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. But then immediately, he brings us all the way back, over 500 years back, into Isaiah. For us to understand who Jesus is, we have to go back this far. This is our Hebrew scripture reading for this morning. Let us listen for what the Spirit still has to say to the church. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. And let us listen again to the beginning of Mark and listen for the echoes of the passage we have heard from Isaiah. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of this holy word. So where we begin and how we begin this story is so important, and that is where Mark begins, sending us back to Isaiah. And this portion of Isaiah beginning in the 40th chapter is what scholars call Deutero-Isaiah. It's the second portion of Isaiah, which is written as the people are returning from exile. It's a time when they hear that their punishment is over, that they are allowed to return home and that their God is like one who will be like a shepherd, carrying the little lambs while leading the mother sheep. So friends, I will trust that it will not shake your faith if I tell you that the Bible right here and the Bible in your pew does not contain all of the stories that are told about Jesus. I think some of you will have heard about the Gnostic Gospels and the discovery in 1945 of the Nag Hammadi Library. Have you heard of this? That there were extra Gospels that were not included in what we call the canon. And I do trust the wisdom of the ancient church fathers and mothers who made this decision. There were reasons that those voices weren't included, but if we are to carry on our metaphor of the storytellers at the table, these are folks who also had certain things on good authority, and they are out having their own little party on the back deck. Nobody around the table is listening to them, but they are saying more stories about Jesus and saying, well, do you remember the time? And do you remember when he said this? And do you remember his relationship with Mary? So the gospel according to Mary is one of these texts, and the gospel according to Thomas is another, which many of us have never even considered. And there is a, a third account, which I would love to share with you today, just because it has such a delightful additional voice about the raising of Jesus. So I listened to this in a podcast with Bart Ehrman on his podcast called Misquoting Jesus, and he interviewed an expert in the non-canonical gospels, Christopher Frilingos. And what he describes in the infancy gospel of Thomas, he says, is a family account. It's not just about the infancy of Jesus. It's really a, an imagining, a retelling of what all of these family dynamics were like when Mary and Joseph begin to raise this child. What was it like to send him to school and have him know so much more than the teachers? What was it like when somebody picked on him? What was it like raising him in this little community? And so the story that the infancy gospel of Thomas begins with I wonder if you've ever heard it before. Jesus begins in the story at only five years old, and he is a very, 
very poorly behaved child. He is caught playing on the Sabbath, which was not done. He was in big trouble. He was sitting down beside, I think, a stream and playing in the dirt and the mud, which I think should recall to all of our minds God and creation, forming all of humanity out of the dirt. But he's sitting there playing in the mud, and he makes these little birds. And when his father finds him and begins to scold him, child, how could you be playing on the Sabbath? He performs his first miracle, and to get rid of all of the evidence of his misbehavior, all of the birds come to life and fly away. And as they fly away, he says, remember me. Now, this is just another story that we never get to hear, but which one of the writers thought, if we're to understand who Jesus is as both fully human and fully divine and understand him and all of the relationships he had, this is where we need to begin. But they are all telling the same story about the same event. God made flesh and Jesus to be with us only because of God's love for us simply because God has a deep longing to be near us and to be in a good and reconciled relationship with us. When a story is this good and this foundational, when we can all have some claim on it, when we shouldn't prioritize who is allowed to have the whole story, when all of these storytellers can be around the table sharing in it together, can it be the more the merrier? There are young folks today who engage in something called fan fiction. Have you heard of this? Where they take a series of stories that they love and they invent additional plot lines and character development for characters that they love. It's also completely in line with an ancient Jewish practice called Midrash, where when there seem to be holes in the story, we can imaginatively enter in and fill out some of the details and that this might be a holy practice of expanding what it is we might know to be true. So I wonder today if our practice of being many storytellers at the table isn't that we should take our place there, that we should become some of these storytellers. During Advent, it isn't just that we're waiting for the birth of the baby Jesus, we are also waiting for the second coming it's a time when we look around at everything that's wrong with the world and when our hearts break over how much breaks God's heart about how many different ways, how many different times, and how many different places in the world we have failed to be the people God imagined in creation. How far we are from shalom for peace and well-being for the whole world. And so I wonder if it isn't time for us to begin retelling the story of what it means to wait again for Jesus' return. The early believers, the early practicers of the way, the early followers of Jesus believed that he was going to come back at any minute. They had experienced the resurrection and they thought he would return imminently even before the first generation passed away. And now, 2,000 years later, none of us lives in daily expectation that Jesus is about to return. But I wonder if it isn't time for us to start living as though we are the return and to start continuing the story, pick up where we left off, and begin continuing the story with many, many voices around the table. And whether that story 
couldn't sound something like this. As we turn to a third passage for today from the second letter of Peter. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's arguing that the reason it's taking Jesus a long time to come back is because we haven't quite gotten it together yet, and we're going to have a few more chances. He tells them to consider what sort of persons ought we to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and in regard and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. We can begin to pick up the story wherever we wish, but wouldn't it be beautiful if someday somebody wanted to write the history of this time and this moment would be where they began, that this could be a hinge year, a hinge moment in our community, and they could say this was the time that humanity finally learned this lesson. They finally learned how to turn away from violence and dehumanization. They finally stopped taking this creation for granted. They finally unlearned the ways of supremacy of any kind and behaved like the Jesus they had been telling the stories about, tenderly leading the mother sheep while carrying the lambs to safety. Can we put practices into place that no one will be able to even see yet, but which are growing like roots into our very souls and will eventually be visible and transformative? So could we be like people around a table interrupting one another in our desire to get all of the details of the story we want to live out? One will say the tyrants will tumble from their thrones. Another will say it is just like Mary said, there will be a banquet where the hungry are filled. Another will say, do you remember how we used to turn on the news and be terrified of the stories that we would see? And now what we see is just like the scriptures said, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers coming across the mountaintops, bringing the good news of God's peace. Another is describing how everyone will have a safe place to live and no one will feel afraid. Another talks of how all of the oppressed will be liberated just like when God led us from slavery to freedom. And another will say, no one will be diminished. No one will be put down. All races and all genders and people of all identities will finally know that they are one in Christ Jesus. One will say, peace is going to break out over the land. And another will say, even the animals will see it and coexist. Friends, can we tell that story? Can we tell it in our hearts? And can we make smooth the pathways in the wilderness for those events to unfold? Can we put that vision into new, fresh words and make them come alive in our living? May it be so.